2: From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host,
1: Mike Heck! The iconic
3: voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links here on MMAFighting.com. Hope everyone's having a great week. I have been having a tremendous week. People have been saying, Mike, where you been? Are you fired? Did Ariel just boot you? Out into the ether? No, he did not. I was taking a little vacation. I enjoyed that vacation, and now life has changed. We're moving. We're doing all sorts of stuff. I've traveled close to 3,000 miles in the last 72 hours, but I'm back with the microphone in my face, ready to host a trilogy matchup on Between the Links. A lot to discuss. We got the big one on Sunday. UFC had a card this past Saturday. They got another card this Saturday. We'll talk about all that and much more with our special guests, so let us introduce them right now. First, back on the program, he wanted this trilogy matchup. He's going to get it. What a run he had. Unfortunately, it came to an end. He wanted the, the opportunity to get it back, and he's got it. From UFC.com, his own sub-stack, lots of other outlets as well, our good friend E. Spencer Kite. Spencer, how are you, man?
4: I'm doing well, man. I'm uh, doing much better than you are after hearing the, the challenges you've been through over the last few days before we jumped on air. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I wanted this one. I've never been defeated in one-on-one competition here on Between the Links. And after getting hit with a steel chair shot last, last time out in the triple threat match, I'm back for, back for my title.
3: There he is. And now, the returning reigning defending champ. He just needed to hit the refresh button, took a couple weeks off, and... Now he's got back-to-back victories. Let us say hello once again to the man with the spicy hot takes, Mr. Jed Mishu. Jed, how are you, my friend?
5: I love how Spencer tries to pawn off last week. Like, AK did a lot of help for me. <laughs> it was just a warm body in that
4: ring, and I was throwing haymakers. Like, I was... <laughs> oh, I, I mean, listen, I gave it to you at the end of the show. I don't know if it made the actual audio feed. You deserved that win last week.
5: Yeah, so... so that was uh, all
4: so I'm 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 doing great.
5: Like, I I'm excited because one, all of your things going on means I'm not gonna be the curmudgeon today, and that's a rarity. And two, I'm like genuinely pumped about this weekend. There are like a lot of good fights happening across a whole slate of things. And come on man, it's Paul Woodley. This is my Nirvana, this is what I'm here for, baby. So let's go.
3: Well, it's it's funny you should say that, Jed, because that's where we're starting today. It's coming up this Sunday, Showtime pay-per-view, August 29th, Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. We have talked about this fight on the show already, We talked about it when it was just announced when we saw the face-offs and the press conferences and all that stuff, but now we are just days away from this fight actually happening. So Jed, we're going to begin with you. You are excited. You mentioned this fight by name. How excited are you? Are you getting like more excited or has your interest just been at a peak and it's just continues to peak even more so as we get closer to Sunday?
5: My interest was peaked from the minute Triller happened and I was at it. And we went through this whole journey long months ago, earlier this year when it happened. I was not excited about Paul Askren. I built momentum. I went to Triller and it's the best live experience I've had in years. Like I couldn't have been more ready for the next Jake Paul thing, because I think everybody knew coming off that, the Tyron Woodley, I mean, they basically set it up during the Triller Fight Club thing. So I know this isn't a Triller promotion, but it's, it's still a lot of the same ethos going on here. I mean, even the construction of the card feels a little similar. And at the top you get, frankly, honestly, this fight is legitimately interesting on the merits. Outside of the Carnival Barker sideshow aspect here, like, I am fascinated by what's going to happen because every fiber of my rational being says that Tyron Woodley should be able to beat Jake Paul in a boxing match because he can hit really freaking hard and Jake Paul has not been hit yet. Like that's that's a thing that matters. You can, Being the hammer is much, much more easy than being the nail. And so like the first time he gets hit by a real hitter, it feels like he might just crumble up and die. But at the same time, even before Tom Woodley got washed, he was always at risk of just losing a fight because he didn't do anything. <laughs> like he didn't just sit there and not do anything for 25 minutes. It's why he almost killed wonder boy three times in two fights and barely one decision, <laughs> like one, one decision amongst the two fights. Like he just, sometimes you won't do anything. And that was when he was good. Now he's not good anymore. Anything could happen here. And if, If Jake Paul knocks out Tyron Woodley, it's going to be freaking nuts. Or conversely, if Tyron Woodley does something cool, it's still going to be nuts and cool. I'm pumped about this fight. I couldn't be more excited. The only negative I have to say is that it's on Sunday. Sunday is a school night, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to be up till 1 in the morning watching boxing because I got to work on Monday. So that's the only negative I have. Everything else here is nothing but positive.
3: Spencer, you've been on the show a few times now and something tells me that you kind of want to know what's going to happen on Sunday, but something also tells me you are not near the level of excitement that, that Jet is at when it comes to Paul versus Woodley. Am I, am I on the nose here?
4: I mean, I don't think there are many people that are near the level of excitement that Jet is at. Like, let's, <laughs> let's be clear, Jet, Jet is in the top, like, 3% in terms of excitement percentile here um, Surprisingly, I'm the, more, the closer this has gotten and the more I've thought about it and, and frankly, been, been tasked with thinking about it by one of my outlets, <laughs> I've, I've gotten excited about it. I mean, I wrote 2,000 two words on this thing this morning. That'll be up tomorrow on osdbsports.com. Cheap plug. Um, because there's some, there's, there's some I, I feign to say the word legitimacy to this because we're still talking about Jake Paul versus a non-boxer Tyron Woodley in a boxing match that is headlining a pay-per-view. So it's not quite like real boxing, but it's getting closer. And that's the part that I'm really interested in, because where this goes next and what happens sa- Sunday night becomes the like where this goes next thing. And it's, it's really interesting, man, because, you know, love him or hate him, Jake Paul has that magnetism. He has that gravitational pull that people pay attention. And if he goes out there and beats Ty, I mean, he has already started laying the groundwork for what he's looking at next. And it's Conor McGregor and it's Canelo Alvarez, which both sound like absolutely absurd ideas, but they're like, the amount of money that these people are all making from these things, they're not absurd to me anymore. I hate saying that, I hated writing it this morning, but it's not absurd anymore, and you have to start paying attention. You don't have to take it seriously, you don't have to like him, respect what's going on, anything like that, but you have to start paying attention if it gets to a point that we're getting Alvarez involved in these conversations.
3: Who's the pressure on more, Spencer? I mean, you got Jake Paul. He's got everything seemingly riding on this. He has a plan, right? You mentioned some of these. You mentioned Connor. He's, he's got this hit list. We saw all these different names, including his own freaking brother on the hit list. And it's just crazy to think about. But for Tyron Woodley, I heard him on Ariel Hawani's show the other day, and the man's fired up. He's saying the right things. He's putting the pressure on himself to go out there and do some work. And with a win, I mean, this is humongous. But if he goes out there and gets knocked up by Jake Paul, this is not a good thing for him. So in your eyes, who has more pressure on them heading into Sunday?
4: Is it Jake Paul or is it Tyron Woodley? Oh, it's Tyron Woodley by, like, miles. Because he is the guy, like, this is, this is the, well, he's the actual fighter. He's the athlete. He's the guy that should be able to, as Jed said, go in there and beat this guy just on, like, athletic merits and having knocked some people out back in the day in his MMA career. Now, admittedly, it's been a number of years since he knocked anybody out, Robbie, Robbie Lawler, when he won the title at, at UFC 201. But, I mean, he's you mentioned that he's been saying all the right things and he's putting all the pressure on himself. Tyron Woodley has been saying all the right things and and declaring all the things that he's going to do to guys throughout this losing streak that he's been on at this tail end of his UFC career. He said it all the way through all the time and it didn't often materialize. And now he's going in there with a 24 year old kid that is just printing money on fights that he's making himself. And so as much as, you know, there's there's the comeuppance potential for Jake Paul to get his ass handed to him, the pressure's on Tyron Woodley to go out there and do what he has said he's going to do. And that's beat this kid in, and get one back for his friend Ben Askren, and get one back for MMA and and real combat sports athletes. And if he doesn't succeed, man, like it goes sideways in a hurry for
2: him.
3: Do you agree with that, Jed? Do you feel like Woodley's got all the pressure, or do you feel like young Jake Paul is uh, got some weight on his back heading into Sunday?
5: I don't know that either man has pressure in this situation, honestly. This is this is a free roll for both sides, like. Jake Paul is Jake Paul has been masterful in his boxing career. <clears throat> you cannot like the dude. And that's cool. Cause I don't, I think he's not a good person. Like objectively, he is a bad individual, but the way he has managed his career thus far is a plus plus. Like he has done everything right. He's built things correctly. And he's, this is, that's why this is good matchmaking for him. If he wins, he beats time. Woodley, a multiple time UFC welterweight champion. Like that's, that's a big feather in anybody's cap, even though Woodley's washed and kind of bad now. And conversely, Woodley's getting paid, baby. Fight sports is fight sport. Like, this is prize fighting. And whatever else matters, this doesn't affect his legacy in any regard because it's boxing, not MMA. So I don't personally think that this influences legacy realistically it's entirely different sports. And it does affect his bank account. He gets money. He has said very clearly from the beginning of this, I'm gonna get paid more for this fight than I will for any of my other UFC fights, which is a scathing condemnation of the UFC. And good for Tom Woodley, the man deserves it. He put in his time, he put in his effort, he accomplished everything just about that there is to accomplish in the sport of mixed martial arts. So now he just he gets to cash a check. Yeah, he would like to win this fight, but honestly, I know I I do agree with what Spencer said. You know time has been saying the right things forever. Every time he said the same thing for the past three years since the Usman loss, I wasn't focused. My mind wasn't right. Now it's a new me. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to show him. And he goes in there and he doesn't do anything. He gets beat up for a while now to his credit. He actually did come in against Luke and, and tossed hands and tried and then he got got, but he, he at least, backed up what he was saying beforehand so hopefully we get the same here because i think if he can do that he probably like like i said i think he does probably knock out jake paul and if he knocks out jake paul that's great for him because that means he's gonna get a rematch and that's just that's more in the bank he's getting more bags and on the other side of things again jake paul it's we've seen conor mcgregor has proven that once you are a guy who people want to watch it doesn't really matter if you lose, even if you lose a lot, and even if after you lose, you make a colossal jackass out of yourself, people are still going to tune in to watch you. And so, Jake Paul, I think he's in that realm. I mean, one, he's targeting a, a younger demographic who really doesn't care if you make a jackass out of yourself. So, if he loses, uh, I think he's going to be just fine. Maybe they run it back. Maybe he can go elsewhere. And if he wins, he's great. And I think it's the same for Woodley. I, I think a loss hurts Woodley more insofar as a, a loss kind of negates any future boxing opportunities he would have but even so I think we're we're really splitting hairs I think everybody this weekend is a winner from a professional standpoint if not a personal standpoint
3: Spencer what's the best result for Sunday what is the best thing that can happen for like all parties involved all right because Woodley wins there's Jake Paul could get they could do it again all these like, there's, it's, it's. No matter what happens, it's like, sort. It's good for everybody from a financial end. For Woodley, this is great for MMA, right? It's great for his career. All these doors will open for him in the entertainment world. Like this, this is a massive thing for him. If Jake Paul wins, clicks galore. There's the the Taka Baby of a Connor fight or Canelo fight, or are, are all these different names. Like it's just bananas where this kid's at right now heading into just his fourth professional fight, but like all in all for the story of, you know, this celebrity sort of boxing thing that has taken off. What is the best thing that could happen on Sunday? A Jake Paul win, a Tyron Woodley win or a double knockout?
4: <laughs> I mean, a double knockout is going to lead sports center, but this may lead sports center on Sunday night anyway. So I think really for, for Jake Paul, for showtime, for where this can go in the future. A Jake Paul victory is is the best thing. I mean, you just keep going to the bank with this kid because, as, as Jed said, he taps into a generation of people that just want to see this. They don't care that it's not high-level competition. They don't care that it's, you know, positioned ahead of legitimately skilled, talented, meaningful fights on Sunday night. They just want to see this dude that they know from Vine and from whatever else he's done, go out there and throw hands and be a jackass. And so for, for that side of the equation, for that grouping of, of Jake Paul and Showtime, him going out there and beating a former UFC champion and being able to just keep on this role and t- keep turning the volume up. Like every time he's gone out there and had one of these victories, it goes up another notch. So he knocks out Nate Robinson and it goes viral and he sets his sights on Ben Askren goes out and he knocks out Ben Askren and he immediately sets his sights on Tyron Woodley before he's even got this fight. He's already got his eyes set on Conor McGregor and then Canelo. So if he goes out there and wins the volume on that just goes up even more. And if you don't think Conor McGregor is scootering around in Beverly Hills, rehabbing that leg, thinking, imagine how much money I can make and we can make me and this idiot kid, you're crazy because that is a hundred percent going through his mind right now that I can get healthy and a year from now get out there and box this kid in AT&T Stadium in Arlington or something like that and just make a grip of money. That's what's gonna happen. So I think if your showtime and your your Jake Paul a victory is the best thing, that's that's the best outcome.
3: Jed, I feel you like you agree. You've been pushing for this Connor thing for a while. You've been throwing it out, and and I feel like you're you've been right. Like we're getting closer and closer to this actually being a thing. But I'm curious to get your thoughts because with the whole Ben Askren fight, your excitement got built up the closer we got because the thing was just it was out of left field. It was a circus, and we all just sort of bought into the circus. Now with it being on Showtime, the presentation's a little bit different. Like they understand what they have with Jake, but it seems like a more serious sporting event than the Triller event. I know you enjoyed the Triller event very much, and anybody who was in Atlanta that night enjoyed the Triller event very much, but do you feel like a lot of people get that even more excited closer to Sunday? Because there really hasn't been a lot going on in terms of building this fight. It's just like, wow, it's happening this Sunday. They've had press conferences and stuff, but I feel like the build to this fight It just feels different than the Askren one. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't feel like the buzz is as there. Maybe it's just just because of the Showtime thing. Because they're presenting it in a more professional sporting way. You know what I
5: mean? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think the buzz is a little less. I think there are probably a number of factors. One, uh, for better or worse, Tyron Woodley's a much better fighter than Ben Askren ever was. But Ben Askren was a far more popular person than Tyron Woodley ever was. He people liked to hear him talk even when what he said was mostly dumb uh and so i think that that's i think that probably plays a factor in it look i mean i've been talking about this for a while and i think i I harped on it pretty hard last week uh if you want to be a real combat sports organization don't go on showtime because it's not a real channel and nobody can watch shit there so I think that probably hurts it a little bit too. And certainly, view, treating this like a professional entity is, I don't think it's the right way to play it. I think you do, the undercard's great, like put real fights on it. They did that at the trailer thing too. But you don't wanna get away from the fact that this is, the Emperor has no clothes and we don't need to pretend that he does. And Showtime runs the risk of, of, of doing this. Honestly, this is gonna go over like probably 90% of the people. Who are listening to the show right now, and certainly Jake Paul I have no idea. I'd <laughs> say, like, this is a real Commodus style thing from him of like pretending to be somebody who matters. And when he gets that it's not real and the thriller thing is happening, and it's, you've got, I don't know how to phrase what Oscar De La Hoya was that night, but. <laughs> let's say an enhanced Oscar de la Hoya uh, doing that. And uh, AC Slater from Saved by the Bell is on commentary and Snoop Dogg selling weed with Urkel. Like that, that ethos is great for exactly what this is like cartoon ridiculousness. And so I have some level of concern that the Showtime is going to try and serious this up. And then everyone's going to be like, well, this is a little lame because this dude sucks, but I still think broad strokes. It's not going to matter. This is still passing the mom test that we talk about. People have been hitting me up. Hey, Jake Paul is fighting this weekend, right? Yep, he sure is. Uh, so I think in that respect, it's it, it's fine. Uh, and then I don't remember if you actually asked this, but I think the bet. Well, the best outcome is always a double knockout because that's just always the best outcome, Mike. But. I I think a Tyron Woodley win is actually pretty good all around here. Now a Tyron Woodley win with like a vicious KO might not be great, but if he wins, you know, a competitive fight or gets a TKO late, I think that sets up time because I want to be clear. I'm not pushing a Jake Paul Conor McGregor fight. That's just the plan. Like very clearly, both Conor and Jake Paul. Are planning on that, and it's not going to happen until Connor's fought out his UFC contract because Connor's done the boxing thing once, and he doesn't want to give Dana White a cut of that anymore. Because why the hell should he? So that's going to happen, but that can't happen for a while because Connor's got to finish out his UFC contract to to make that clean. And so if Jake Paul beats Tyron Woodley this weekend. There aren't a lot of great fights for him in the interim while he has to wait for Connor to heal up and fight. I think Anderson Silva actually makes like all the sense in the world is a next step given Silva you know fits that same sort of ethos and would be a clear step up from Tyron Woodley as a fighter as well uh and it's probably a bridge too far frankly Silva probably beats him but hell I kind of think that's the same case with Tyron Woodley yeah. so uh but other than that there just aren't a lot of fights that I think can he can do that and he needs to at least be competitive or be winning to get the eventual connor fight in this interim so i think if he if he beats woodley and it's like a convincing win, he knocks out woodley or whatever great that's going to boost his stock people are going to want to watch him but i just don't know who who he fights then other than maybe an anderson silva because anything past that you're really running the risk of him getting made look like a fool like woodley is right at that perfect level of beatable but dangerous and there's not a lot that I can see that that fits in that same, you know, band uh, and he needs, he'll need to stay active. Cause again, he won't be able to fight Connor until at earliest the end of next year.
3: Yeah. I feel like Tommy Fury is, is it, is in an interesting spot? He's fighting Jake's guy, Anthony Taylor, former, I mean, still kind of MMA fighter. Fought for Bellator several times, so that's going on. Uh, I believe that kicks off the main card, but it's going down Sunday. Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. I can't believe it, and I'm very fascinated by all, by all of it. I like the way that this has been built up. I, I don't need a build for this one. This thing sells itself. Paul versus Woodley. It's just going to be insane, and I am here for it. And I'm also here for the rest of this matchup between Spencer and Jed. The point for round one goes to... I mean, I have to give it to Jed because I think Showtime should give him a cut because I think he sold about 10,000 extra pay-per-views for them man, with the way he promoted this.
5: show. No, play. I didn't. I sold four because nobody knows where Showtime is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real channel, grow up.
0: Oh, man. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more.
2: that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
3: Well, let us move ahead to the world of mixed martial arts. Let's talk about this past Saturday. Let's talk about... Jared Cannoneer defeats Calvin Gaslam, five-round decision. Pretty good fight. Guy's been out for a while, had some injuries, came back. Calvin Gaslam is a very difficult guy to look good against, and Jared Cannoneer had his moments, ultimately comes back and gets the victory. So before we get into probably the bigger story here, Spencer, just your overall thoughts about Jared Cannoneer's performance and what he was able to do against Calvin Gaslam this past Saturday.
4: I mean, as you said, Calvin's a a tough out. It's a good win. He looked he looked solid. I thought he won three of the five rounds, just as the judges did. I thought that was pretty clear. Um I know Kelvin is has questioned otherwise and his corners throughout the fight were, were telling him otherwise, which was suspect. But I thought Cannonier looked good. As you said, he's been off for a while. He's coming off the loss to Robert Whitaker and the broken arm and and getting back into the swing of things. And he went out there and, you know, he looked good in the first clearly took the second round off, goes out and gets the third and fourth to put himself in that kind of don't get knocked out, don't get finished zone. And that's kind of how the fifth round played out. And so it's going out and handling business the way you need to at times in spots like this. Cause that's, this was also a short notice fight, right? Like this was Kelvin Gastelum jumping in for Paulo Costa. So it's not like he spent the whole time getting ready for Kelvin Gastelum and I mean, Kellen Gastelum's on a slide, so you're maybe not as, as up for it as you are the prospects of going in and, and facing Paulo Costa, whose only loss is to Israel Adesanya, and maybe that puts you right next in line. And so to go out and handle business the way he did, he gets full marks for, for doing his job. He looked good, I think he has a chance to look better next time out. There's clearly still some room to to grow and improve, but he handled business and did what he needed to do.
3: What did you think, Jed? What, what would you give Jared Cannonier for a grade? Whether it be five out of ten or fifty out of a hundred, however you want to scale this thing up, Jed. How would you grade Cannonier's performance?
5: Uh that's like a C. I don't know. So I guess what's that like a seventy-four out of a hundred? <laughs> uh, it, look, it's one of those things. You know, I'm, we're coming off the Olympic cycle, and we just watched you know all these sports that have judges criteria for them. And that all of them, gymnastics and diving and all the other stuff, there are two factors. It's how well you do and your degree of difficulty. And Jared Cannonier did fine, like a totally acceptable thing, but he had a very low degree of difficulty. because Kelvin Gastelum sucks. He's, he has one, one win over a currently relevant middleweight. Like, I, I'm just done pretending that we need to treat Kelvin Gastelum like he's a legit middleweight prospect. Like, he's a, he's a fine dude. He doesn't suck. He's a very competent fighter. And that's it. And there's no shame in being a competent fighter. Like, that still puts you in the 99.99 percentile of the world. But, like, he has a win over Ian Heinisch. That's it. That's the only relevant win he has in his career. When you started, you said, you know, Akela, he's a hard guy to look good against. And that's maybe true. He's, in general, more difficult to like look exceptional against. But he ain't a hard guy to beat because five people beat him in the last couple of years here. And granted, he's fighting tough dudes. But at some point, if you fight a bunch of tough dudes, you need to win one of them for me to care about you as a middleweight to sell. He, he, we talked about this last week. He and Darren Till have an unbel- unrivaled ability to fail upwards. Like I don't understand. Coming off this, he clearly lost. He's insane to pretend that I won this. I thought I took it. I'm like, No, you obviously didn't. And then he, he posts the freaking striking stats on his Twitter. It's like, look, I outstruck him. You outstruck him by like one strike in three rounds, and he dropped you once, homie. Deal with it. You lost. Like it's not, He's. it boggles my mind that, that we are still like, yeah, Kelvin Gastelum, that's like a great win. No, it, it's a fine win. It is a win over somebody who's relevant, and that is good. But like, Kelvin Gastelum should not be in anybody's rankings. When we do our, our MMA fighting rankings at the end of this month, I'm not putting him in my 15. I refuse because he has a win over Ian Heinisch, And you don't get style points for losing to Israel Adesanya well. Like, you didn't win the fight, bro. So that's it. Like, I thought in here, he did his job, and he did his job against a short-notice replacement, and so you can't really take a lot away from that because, like Spencer said, it's not a guy you're preparing for. Maybe you're not as up for it because – you probably, as a professional fighter, are aware that Kelvin Gastelum is very smoke and mirrors in his selling points. and But he did his job, and he's going to get himself a title fight. But I didn't come out of that fight thinking, man, that dude's the dude to test Izzy. I thought, sweet, that's going to be a, a, another solid win on Israel Adesanya's, Adesanya's uh, you know, on his belt when he gets the ruby. He'll be like, ah, oh, that was a Jared Cannonier win. That was a good win. That is a relevant, high-quality middleweight, and I defeated him. That is what I left that fight thinking.
3: Spencer, let me go back to you because we talked about the win. He was out for a little while, coming off the Whitaker loss, wants to get to a title. And sure, you're in the main event, and people are talking about you, but the thing that got people talking more than anything was the post-fight interview, talking about being broke. And then he went on the MMA hour and sort of peeled back the onion, so to speak, of... Where it comes from saying essentially like you know what listen the ufc treats us well you know me not fighting sucks cost me some time cost me a good amount of money but listen we are professional athletes we should i should have six figures in my bank account right now untouched that's just what we are we're fighting on espn we're professional athletes at the highest level so with everything that Cannon Air did on saturday and on monday with ariel and just talking about this situation did he move the needle at all in either direction, like whether just for the fighter right side or for I'm one of the top middleweights in the world side?
4: I mean, I think his his profile has increased, which, which will help him in the, I'm one of the top middleweights in the world. Because I mean, like, he really is. He, he's one of, as Jed said, he is in that group at the top of the division that puts him in the one percentile, and so, In that regard, it certainly moved the needle. And he's gotten a lot more attention for what he said and being on a platform like the MMA Hour with your colleague and and my friend Ariel Hawani. Does it really change a lot for him? Does it move the needle in terms of people are going to be clamoring for the next Jared Cannonier fight? Probably not, because unfortunately in this community, people have really short memories and they like shouting about. The cause of the day and then moving on to the next thing. And we've seen over many, many years that there's only a handful of fighters that are going to generate and and command that interest and hold on to it from people for a long, long time. And as good as J- Jared Cannonier is, as valid as everything he said Monday is, he just ain't one of those guys. And so yeah, people will remember this win and they'll remember him because we'll replay the the interview with ariel and talk about it again whenever his next fight gets announced and whenever that fight then comes up but he's not a guy that people are going to be like circling the calendar to make sure like setting a google alert for jared Cannonier fight news and that's you know that's not a knock on him that's just the way that this business works and the way that this community seems to function
3: jed shaking his head i mean (laughs) listen we're he, he I think we felt like if Air beat Gaslam, his position was pretty clear. He's fighting the winner of Darren Till versus Derek Brunson, and then hopefully gets on the road to the title. So I think in terms of his performance, yeah, he gets a win, and that's great. All the headlines were the comments afterwards, Jed. So do you think like other fighters were like, picked up the phone and called Jared and been like dude well done like let's start forming a tribe man let's get this thing done let's do what nobody's been able to do before like has the needle been moved at all from Jared no because Can- Can-
5: <laughs> no, he didn't stick with it look I want to throw shit. I forgot how, how Spencer phrased it I'm going to knock the hell out of Jared Cannon here stand- be B- you man you said something stand on it if it's a lie fight on that lie I don't care man if you're gonna be a bear be a grizzly if you won't come out and say i'm broke be broke don't equivocate after the fact don't be like ah shit sean shelby's gonna be mad at me and i don't know if i'm gonna get no come on come on ariel's show on mmafighting.com's the mma hour with ariel hawani come on there and double down because even if you are wrong technically you're right you're extremely right there's no need to parse this and say well, they treat me well, and I just I was out for a while, and so that's why I'm broke. And I bought a I have a second house in Alaska, and that costs money. You don't need that because even if all of that's true, they are still underpaying all of you by a substantial amount. This is uncontrover- incontrovertible. Nobody will argue that point except for the most trolly dipshits in the world. Like you make 18% of revenue. Everyone knows this number because it's the UFC's admitted number. And like, so you don't have to pretend you don't have to, to suck up or kowtow at all. You can just say, yeah, man, I'm broke. And then come on aerial show and say, yeah, everything I said before I did the butt and all the equivocation, I am one of the best fighters in the world. I should be getting paid a reasonable amount for my services as opposed to if I'm out for a year and a half because of injury, I'm in financial trouble. Like that's just own it, man, and nobody will own it. And it's the most—it's one of the most frustrating things. Aside from watching fighters just get bent over and refuse to stand up for themselves collectively when the obvious answer is that they can and should do that, it's watching so many fighters take three steps down the right path and then be like, "Nah, buck on this." Like, Jorge Masvidal started doing it, then shut the hell up because he got the title fight he wanted. John Jones is, is sticking to it for now and that's great I I hope he continues to stand on it because Misha Tate did it earlier this week where she I don't know if she walked back comments but she uh explained some more comments about about expenses and costs and from her return fight like don't you're hundred percent in the right by just saying yeah they underpay me and I'm a, I'm gonna shout this whistle one of the objectively great things Jake Paul has done, I know we're not talking about him anymore, is he has shined a big bright light on the fact that fighter pay in the UFC in particular is garbage. And nobody's jumping up and be like, yeah, man, this dude's right. And like, I know you're gonna catch flack. First guy through the wall always catches in the teeth, but somebody's gotta do it. And if you've already stepped on that limb, don't get afraid looking down at how high it is, just go. And so it was super frustrating because in the immediate aftermath, I was like, "Dope, Jared Kennedy said something cool. Maybe he'll just own that." And then he immediately was like, "No, nah, I'm not cool. Don't worry about it. You can go back to not giving a. Sh- I don't want to say the words anymore. Think I've cursed a lot already. You don't have to worry about me anymore. I'm gonna be a quiet, dude, and wait until I get to lose to Izzy for a belt."
3: Well said. And then, up, no, but 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 here's what's here's what's hilarious, and I think today is a perfect example of why we're never gonna see what we want to see happen, because Jared Cannonier goes on Ariel Show on Monday and says his thing. Kevin Holland goes on Ariel Show today and says, "I make great money. Just win fights or get a new manager, and then you'll make all the money you want." What? I couldn't believe it. It's just it's same division. Guys in the same division. One is like knocking on the door of a title shot. This other, Kevin Holland's not even ranked right now. He's not even in the top 15. And he's saying, I love getting paid when I'm getting paid. It's crazy.
5: It's the Donald Cerrone thing, man. Like, yeah, sure, you're making more money because you're fighting five times a year, but you recognize that fighting five times a year is not how this sport should work. And it only works for a very limited few. And you are still being, all that actually means is you're being exploited five times more than the average fighter is. But you can't see the forest for the trees.
3: Jed is just dropping bombs today. He's dropping lots I was, of. I was
5: fired up at the candy thing. This is like, <laughs> these so are like posters
3: thing. I see in my, I, I would see in my kid's room.
5: Dude, it was what? the most frustrating thing that happened Just be like. He said it unequivocally and with no thing, like, I'm broke. And everybody immediately was like, hell yeah, we're going to make this the headline. It was all over all the news sites. Main event fighter, one of the top three guys, soon to be challenger, is like, I'm broke. Dan Levitard started talking about it on his show and blasting ESPN for the role they play in this. Like, he had momentum behind him, and he immediately was just like, nah, I'm good. Never mind that. Don't want to do that.
4: Huh. The thing that's frustrating, the other part of it, and, and Jed touched on it a little bit, that's, that's so frustrating about this. And I don't think anyone, except for, as he said, the trolliest of trolls and the dippiest of dipshits, will argue that the <laughs> UFC pays these guys, these men and women, adequately. We know what the numbers are in all of these other sports. We see all of the announcements of the different partnerships and pairings and sponsorships and whatnot that the UFC signs. And I don't think there's anyone that sits there and goes, nope, that 18%, that's, that's plenty. The part that is so maddening to me, and I think Jed and most, and hopefully some other people too, is that there hasn't been any effort. Like, as much as, as, much as people will hate to hear this, and I know people are gonna be like, oh, look where he writes and all of that junk, There's no impetus for the UFC to come out and pay these people more. Like there's just nothing, they're not beholden to paying them more. Should they? Of course, every rich person should pay their employees more. We all want more money. Everybody wants a bigger piece of the pie, but until their feet are held to the fire, they're not just gonna offer up more money. And until the athletes decide, we're tired of getting this very small sliver, nothing's gonna change and so as much as we all understandably are on the side of the fighters in terms of they deserve more there also has to be a little bit of like getting on them and pushing them to take these steps that are necessary not just individually like john jones seems to be doing not just one-off when as jed said jorge masvidal starts talking about it and then decides he doesn't have anything more to say because he's going to sell his tequila and, and got his fight. But as a unit, just step out and say, we need to fix this, because that's the only way any of this ever changes.
3: Yeah, I, I it's funny. I bet even though Dana and Ariel have their spat, I'm sure on Monday, Dana and Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard and Hunter Campbell are sitting in Dana's office and they're watching that interview, and then Air's done, and they just start laughing. They just started laughing, like... Because, Spencer, you're absolutely right. Like, what, what incentive does the UFC have to give these guys more money? You can say it all you want. Connor's not saying it. None of these guys are really saying it. They're just but- not. And there's no incentive for them to be like, here you go, bro. Here's an extra 100 Gs. You're hurt. Your arm's broken. Here's a check for $100,000 to get your family through this.
4: The kindness of Dana White's heart. <laughs> I mean, I- the, the wild thing, too, right, in this industry, if they did decide to come out and go from 18 to 25%, that's going to, like, it's going to appease a whole lot of people and a larger chunk of the population that follow this sport will just instantly do the, like, see, taking care of people. And, yep, it's better. It's not what it should be. We all know that. But until, until MMA fighters get to that point that all of these other athletes and all of these other professional leagues are at, where, as Jed said, the first few people through the door take it in the teeth and and suffer all of all of the slings and arrows that are coming this is where we're going to be this is just what it's going to be because rich people don't get rich by giving away their money dude my favorite thing
5: because we should probably move off of fight okay <laughs> just because we could spend forever here I, I have two comments and i'll close my side i of the many things in instances where I've been like, oh, somebody should really wise it up. It has still never not been hilarious and tragic to me that like this whole conversation about the goodness, the generosity of the UFC and Dana White gave me some money to help me through hard enough time. That is like very clearly distilled into yeah. There were a few people who Dana took care of and he got them jobs. And that can't even happen anymore because it's now a real company owned by a real thing. And as soon as as soon as they got bought, Chuck Adele got fired from his no-show job, taking taking a paycheck doing whatever. Like you're not gonna get even if Dana was really liked you. Like he likes you know Diego Sanchez or whatever. Like there's just nobody nobody's gonna sign off on him just. Ah, here's an extra 100k for you, random person, because WMEIMG got bills to pay, man. The UFC's a profit driver for them. Uh, and my last thing is, yeah, Leslie Smith has more balls than anybody in the UFC, and more balls than most people on the planet. And mad respect to her. She tried, and y'all wouldn't listen.
3: It's so funny. I was on, I was like going through my Facebook like anniversaries, and like on this day five years ago, I talked to Jeff Boris, who's going to start the PFA. And it went nowhere. I think that was the last time we heard his voice talk about fighter pay ever was that interview that maybe like a 1,000 people listened to at the time. But it's just wild to think about. It it really is. And by the way, especially for you new fans, listen to what these two gentlemen are saying. If you're expecting them to come out like the NBA and TNT and give the the players 50% of the profit sharing, it ain't happening it's just not not the way that everything's structured you want to know why the NBA gets that much because they got a players association and a damn good one want to know why the NFL gets that same Major League Baseball the same
5: yeah but Mike I mean fighters can cut their own deals with crypto.com so (laughs) can the NBA players do that I don't
3: think so. It's because they're getting a piece of the freaking sponsorship to begin with. Yes, but we could talk about this forever. Fighters, we love you. We want you to make all the money in the world. That is the message that we want to put out there. But a really fun round. A round we could go on for another hour. (laughs) Easy. But the point for round number two goes to... Spencer Kites. Good stuff. That was a good round. It was just really good. It was just really good stuff. I, have, I feel like I have to justify every point I give away because I don't want people to be mad at me. But was... today,
5: I don't care. I don't care.
3: You bring it. I'm not even bringing in a special guest judge for the final round today. How about that? Because I'm ready.
5: Ooh, can we know who? Because that might uh, change and affect my pandering over these next couple of questions. <laughs>
3: it's me. I'm doing it. I'm not bringing anybody yeah. in.
5: Are you going to go on a limb like Jared Cannonier went on a limb and immediately walked away from
3: it? <laughs> oh, no, I'll be here. Don't you worry about it. But let's talk about... We, we, we talked about what's going on on Sunday, but before that, the UFC is back. UFC Vegas 35. I like this card. I really like this main event. It's a big one at 145 pounds. In my opinion, one of the more underrated divisions in the sport right now, especially in the UFC, 145 pounds. we got Edson Barboza versus Giga Chikadze. So Jed, we'll begin with you. Thoughts on the matchup? Like, compare it to last week's main event between Kanair and Gaslam. Is this like, is this night and day? in terms of what, what, what your excitement levels?
5: Yeah, this fight is dope. Like one, middleweight is a garbage division. So even the best middleweight fight is not gonna be as good as like a mid-level featherweight fight, realistically. Uh, I will, I, no, the best one, cause the upcoming title fight, that'll be really great. Uh, but other than that, I mean, the middleweight's whatever. and. Featherweight's dope. Like you said, I I think it is an underrated division right now, which is insane to me because it's so obviously, like, the third or maybe fourth best division in the sport. Like, it's top to bottom unbelievable, Uh, and this fight is is awesome. Like, Edson Barbosa's been – Edson Barbosa is actually a good fighter. Here's a major difference. Like, Kelvin Gastelum has fought a who's who of people, and he's beaten none of them unless they were old (laughs) as dirt edson barbosa has also fought a who's who look at his run man i i think you can put his just the names on his resume win or loss you can put it up against anybody's run in the sport that man has fought everybody tony ferguson anthony pettis uh habib remadov justin gaethje paul felder like everybody oh forever and now he's dropped to 45 and looks awesome like kind of jose aldo-esque honestly where he had a little bit of a tough adjustment, I think, in his first fight, the Ige fight. I still thought he won, but, you know, not great. But he's really coming to his own. He's managing the weight cut well, and he's like a legitimate contender. Like, that's an actual good fighter. And Giga Chikadze is a super hot prospect. Like, I don't think there's, I mean, I guess maybe he's past prospect at this point. Um, but I, I still would probably put him with that designation. Uh, and, dude, just think of the kicks. Think of the kicks that are coming for us. Giga, Giga's got his whole branded Giga kick. Edson Barbosa is the man who kicks things. Like that's his job title He's kicked the shit out of stuff. This is just, this should be a fight circus. The fight circus kicking human uh, kick fighting. This is it. Like I don't need to see Edson Barbosa throw hands here. Just wheel kicks and leg kicks. And let's see who drops first. Like I, this is awesome. Uh, the only reason it's not the fight I'm the most excited about this weekend is for the aforementioned Paul Woodley. But this fight's great, and I know we're going to get into it. Honestly, a lot of the other fights on this card are interesting in some capacity or another.
3: What do you think, Spencer? What sticks out to you about this fight? What, what, what makes it so fascinating? Are you on the same level as Jed when it comes to this main event on Saturday?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm right there. And, and Jed mentioning the, the list of people that Edson Barbosa has fought. I've got my 10 things that I like about this card coming out tomorrow morning on the Substack newsletter. And the first point is literally just listing out the last seven and a half years of Edson Barbosa's career because the list is like, it's ridiculous, right? You saw after the Kelvin Gastelum fight, a lot of people did the like, look at the list of people he's fought, and rattled off the names. Edson Barbosa's is twice as deep. And as Jed said, he's beaten a bunch of them. In he's he's actually was. won some of those fights. And now he's gone down a division and branded himself as a potential contender there as well. And so to me, he is the right test at the right time for a guy like Giga, who is a little older than you would normally consider a prospect. But he's 6-0 in the UFC. He's coming off that fight with Cub Swanson where he folded him over in about a minute. And it's, it's kind of the matchup that he needs. This is where we figure out, is Giga a... Super exciting dude in the middle of this really fun division where everyone from like 12 to 26 is really fun to watch and it's a whole whack of good fights and anybody can beat anybody? Or is he actually a top 10 guy that can get into it with some of these other guys that are a little bit lesser known but super talented, like Arnold Allen, like Mavsari Vloyev, like even Calvin Cater, who is outside of the title picture? But tough is all get out, and so to me this is this is the chance to see sort of those those questions get answered for a guy that has looked great thus far in the UFC, but is going up against his toughest test, and a guy that, you know, short-circuited Shane Burgos's brain just a couple months ago.
3: Yeah, well, I think, Spencer, the thing that I really like about this fight is there's, unlike last week, like there were some stakes in the main event. There's a lot of stakes yeah. here because there's rare times in the sport where you see a guy that's floating 10, 12, you know, even to as far back as 15, where they have a fight in a certain matchup where you're like, if this guy wins, we could throw him in there with a the top five guy. Like, next fight and no one's going to bat an eye. Like, I think whoever wins this fight, their next fight is not against you know, a Josh Emmett, they're fighting a top five fighter. Like, they could be fighting Calvin Cater next. It is very possible. Do you agree with that? Do you think the stakes are that high? The win of this fight could get a huge bolt? Kind of like what Makachev got after beating Tiago Moises.
4: I think so, because it's a main event fight. And so it will depend. I mean, I think the the only little caveat is how it plays out. If this is a weird, oddly uneventful kind of staring contest or two great kickboxers weirdly get into a clinch fight along the cage, or somehow this turns into a grappling match, then maybe not. But if it's as electric as we think it is, and it is kick city as Jed wants it to be. And I want it to be, and you want it to be, and everybody else wants it to be. And somebody gets knocked out in spectacular, spectacular fashion. They're jumping over. I think they're at nine and 10 right now in the UFC rankings. And if it's, if it's dynamic finished, they're jumping over that sort of eight, seven, six group and fight facing, as you said, either Calvin Cater or the Korean Zombie next time out. Or, I mean, you know, you can maybe even argue Max Holloway, given that he's sitting in that limbo position, waiting to see what happens with Volkanovski and, and Brian Ortega at the end of next month. And so there are, as you said, legit stakes tied to this. And a chance for the winner to to really get into the mix here, in 145-pound weight class.
3: How high are the stakes in your mind, Jed?
4: I mean, I
6: I agree with everything you both said. Basically, like I I think I, I mean, Mike, I think he nailed it. Like the the winner of this is getting a top five guy, and I don't
5: I don't no one's going to be concerned about it. No one's even going to ask the question. I mean, because Barbosa. Barbosa is just such a known quantity. He carries a lot of respect, as he should. We've talked about it a lot already. Uh, and Chikadze is such a hyped prospect. Everybody forgot that he got tapped on Contender Series because he's looked so good in the UFC that you you just forget these sorts of things that happened not that long ago, for
6: being honest. And so, yeah, I... I, it is possible, like Spencer said, you could maybe even see them go up against Holloway because I think Holloway has to fight somebody. I, I, Volkanovski just super doesn't want to fight that dude again, um, which again I'm not actually knocking Volca, Volko here. Like I think that's fair. He's beat the man twice. Like wanting to fight him a third time, it does feel a little bit like all right, let's just keep spinning the wheels here. So uh, I think I think Holloway needs to get some wins, but I think in my mind it feels like Holloway's is just going to fight Korean Zombie. That seems like they're. They've both been around the block for a while. Uh, they are, you know, two legends of the game. And I think that fight just makes sense. And so, yeah, I think Cater, you know, he's coming off that shellacking from Holloway. Um, and so maybe loser coming against the winner. Maybe that's something Sean Shelby decides to balk out a little bit. But, yeah, I think that that's, that's where, we're, where we're coming here with those two. Or, no, maybe Zabit does want to fight at some point, And they, they do a Zabit, Zabit fight. I think... But yeah, I think the winner of this puts himself, if not in a title eliminator, in a title eliminator, eliminator next, basically. And so, yeah, I think the stakes here are pretty high, especially for Barboza, who I know Chikadze, as as Spencer said, he's a little older than you might think for a guy we're considering a prospect. But he's relatively young in fight years, at least. Barboza, he got some city miles on him um, and a lot of hard, hard fights. So he losses here really really set him back if he's trying to to fight for a title
5: and if he doesn't it'll be a real shame because if he ends up being one of those guys like a jacaray who top five guy forever and just couldn't quite get the wins and have the timing break right and never fought for a bell that'll be a bit sad so uh he's
6: he has certainly has a lot at stake this weekend
3: yeah, I feel if there's like a Mount Rushmore of like underappreciated fighters, Edson Barboza is probably on there. If not, he's like next in line. He's the top five underappreciated guy in, in UFC history, in my opinion. So that is a great fight. Potential 25 minutes of Edson Barboza versus Giga Chikadze. That ha- is just a lot of fun. But there's more going on with this card, and we will talk about that in a matter of moments. But the point for round three goes to. going to canada two to one for spencer kite good round good round
2: But let's talk about
3: another very intriguing storyline heading into Saturday. The return of Kevin Lee. Yes, the return of Kevin Lee. Not just the return of Kevin Lee to the Octagon, but the return of Kevin Lee to the welterweight division. He was supposed to fight Sean Brady on this card. Sean Brady had a nasty infection. Saw some photos of that leg. It was disgusting, but apparently from all indications, a couple weeks, Brady's going to be back to training. But, stepping in, is daniel rodriguez who has just been on a tear since coming to the ufc i had a chance to speak with daniel rodriguez right before i went on vacation and what an interview that was hopefully that gets to drop pretty soon for you guys to check out and he's very hungry and very ready for this fight so let's just start with you spencer on this keep it simple kevin lee versus daniel rodriguez is this a must win for kevin lee does he have to win on
4: saturday i mean he didn't until he went on the mma hour and said all of the things he said I mean, we Jed mentioned earlier that that Kelvin Gaslem and Darren Till have this ability to fail upwards and like continue to to rise in esteem in people's eyes or hold esteem in people's eyes despite spotty records. Kevin Lee's one of those dudes to me, man. Like he's out here. like, i I have to. I mean, look, we all know Ariel is the utmost professional in those settings. I got to give him credit for, for not like falling out of his chair when Kevin Lee said he was a top-five welterweight and saying that it's too bad that Khabib retired when he did because he didn't get to face any real elite competition, believing himself to be that elite competition. So, I mean, before that interview, this was, all right, let's see what Kevin Lee can do after losing to the guy that's that's now the lightweight champion, comes off that, terrific finish of Gregor Gillespie, the only man thus far to beat Gregor Gillespie. And you go, okay, let's, let's see what he does when he enters back into the welterweight fray. Then he goes out and talks all of this mess and puts himself in the top five and dismisses everybody when he's got zero welterweight wins and is going against the guy in Daniel Rodriguez that is tough, that is legit. He has four wins in that division since Kevin Lee last fought. So it's not like he's going in there against some nobody that has no business being in the cage with him or one of these dudes that he beat when we were giving him a whole lot of credit and attention on his way up at lightweight. And he put this giant target on his back, set the bar exceedingly high when it didn't need to be. And so, yeah, this is absolutely must win. I wrote about it this morning, man. Like this guy might be top five, but we sure we sure don't know and we're not going to see it until it, till, <laughs> till he proves it. And I just don't think he can prove it. Like, this is a dude that that puts himself in this category with zero evidence to back it up. Like, there is nothing right now to back it up. As great as that Gregor Gillespie knockout was, Gregor Gillespie is the number 10 lightweight in the world right now or in the UFC right now. That's the best win he's got. If the best win you have is the dude that isn't even in the top five yet and you haven't beaten anybody that's in the top five, you probably shouldn't go around saying all of these dudes that are far more accomplished than you really aren't that good. And you could take them all.
3: What do you think, Jed? You laughed a little bit, but uh must win for Kevin Lee on Saturday.
4: Well, I laughed that Spencer said uh,
5: he might be able to prove it. Cause Kevin Lee very clearly can't. <laughs> I'm going to be serious for just a half second because I, I just want this point to be made. Even if my heart doesn't feel it, he has, his best win is probably not Gregor Gillespie. In hindsight, it's probably Michael Chiesa, who is, in fact, a top seven welterweight. And I assume that that's where he's getting his, the basis for out of top five welterweight. Granted, that was four years ago and had a different weight class. But that's still probably his the best win because as much as I have spent years saying Chiesa is not good, I have turned the corner and I'm willing to accept that he is at least a solid welterweight. He has finally, his loss to, to Vicente Luque actually proved to me that he is a competent 1-7 And now I'm going to say, I have a lot of feelings about Kevin Lee. I got a lot, of, a lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions, because there's a part of me that has nothing but respect for Kevin Lee, because as a man who has made a career out of just saying stuff, I respect Kevin Lee's game <laughs> to just say stuff without basis and fact or logic of reason. You can't look at this man and what he's done and and say anything bad about the absolute moxie it takes to straight-facedly say, yeah, Habib never fought a good wrestler, and I would have been a challenge. Kevin Lee, who made the national tournament once in college, also Habib's last fight was against NCAA All-American Justin Gaethje, who he beat the freaking bricks off of. So just throw out that argument in in the face of it. He says he Chris Tucker's his way through it by just saying stuff. And so I got to respect that. But as Spencer pointed out, Kevin Lee is another dude who fails upward. And that's the thing. I respect that about Kevin Lee because he fails upward by just saying stuff. Darren Till does a lot too. Kelvin Gastelum, I don't really know how he fails upward because it's not like he's some charismatic dude on the mic that people are that interested in hearing him talk. But, like, Kevin Lee, I get it. He's got fashion sense. you got to respect the man's fits. He's always looking clean. But he's not very good at actually beating real opponents. He does have some good wins, which is, that's huge, as we've said. He <laughs> but he has a lot of, he does a lot of that losing to good people. And, the best thing about kevin lee and will be forever it will never not be the best thing about kevin lee is that he lost to ali quinta in the funniest fight that i've ever seen because he very clearly was a better fighter than ali quinta and just just couldn't figure it out like in cage you're watching his brain melt and not be able to fight and then this dude freaking a month later is just like yeah I'm, i would beat habib I could not, I could not beat Ali Quinta, who Habib jabbed to death. I couldn't fix that puzzle, but I'd whip Habib, the best lightweights ever, whip his ass. So you gotta respect him, but he's insane, and I think he's gonna <laughs> be shocked by David Rodriguez because the last time we went up to welter, it didn't work out too hot for him. I was against RDA. like, washed ass RDA. Come on, man!
4: Like that's the craziest part of this, right? Is that like. He's 0-1 at welterweight, and welterweight feels like it's just I haven't figured out how to cut weight properly and manage my diet and be professional about all of this to make 55. Because he could be, like, I think he could be a contender at 55. He's got some skills. He's got some talents.
1: He can't. But he just can't figure it out.
4: He can't, because that's the problem. Nobody is doubting that
5: man's talent. Kevin yeah. Lee is legitimately one of the most talented fighters I've ever seen. This kid can do a ton of stuff, but he, I don't, I don't know if it's a mental thing or if it's a conditioning thing. Cause he does tend to wane as fights go on, but like he just can't put the pieces together in a functional way. And that's not a problem you fix. Like you just do, And it's really not a problem you fix when you say the things that Kevin Lee does. It's like with Connor, like Connor, Connor has an infinite amount of talent, and he could make a comeback, but he's not going to because he can't register that, like, what I'm doing doesn't work, and this is not actually good. Like, he's just – he's in his own world of stuff, and Kevin Lee's a lot like that. And, like, yeah, man, like, the last time he went to 170, he fought a a puffed-up lightweight, couldn't get the job done. Now he's fighting a legit welterweight who's really underrated and a really scary dude. And, like, I don't know, man, I just – I got a lot of respect for Ally Quinta because he accomplished a lot despite having minimal talent. But, like, if you can't figure out Ally Quinta, I don't know that Daniel Rodriguez and the hammers that dude throws are <laughs> thing where you want to be figuring it out. Like, I- I'm with Spencer. He 155 is the division he should be. I know he's too big for, he needs a 165 because five pounds, that make or <laughs> Makes the weight cut, I guess. Fuck, I know. But, like, he's just a lunatic, and I vacillate between thinking he's hilarious and charming and out of his
4: friggin' mind. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, that's, that's sort of where I stand in Kevin Lee. Wow. He's also set to compete on Saturday for the first time with two surgically repaired ACLs. Let's not forget that part, too, because that, that's probably important in the whole super athletic fighter thing, now working with two reconstructed knees in the last... Yeah, but, but Habib would not have been able to <laughs> but, do anything but, against him. But but he's top five because because <laughs> what if, what what does Vicente Luque and, just, and Stephen Thompson and, and Gilbert he, Burns bring to the table? You know who he is?
5: I just realized, and this is why I can't hate Kevin Lee in the way I don't like a lot of other fighters. He's J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith is unquestionably my favorite yeah. basketball player of all time because that man has more rational confidence than any human being in the world and I feel in a lot of ways that I have a lot of rational confidence. And so it's a kindred spirit. And I love J.R. Smith like a child like like my own child. I love to watch that dude relentlessly jack up 30 footers with no regard for sanity or decency. And Kevin Lee is a lot like that. And so my smart brain wants to be like, dude, you're insane, but I just can't hate him because he's he's so insane that it's adorable.
4: See, and as soon as you said that the image that popped in my head was a different former former Laker, and that's Nick Young when he threw oh, yeah. up the three. Then he turned around and threw up the celebration, and it rimmed out. Or Kemba missing one and doing the little shimmy, and it rimmed out. That's Kevin Lee. That well, is one hundred percent. Kevin guys Lee guys
5: are the best.
4: They are the <laughs> best. I call uh, him and... Schrodinger's fighter today because he, he hey maybe he could be, but he probably isn't, and we're gonna have to find out. And he's a, like. We haven't even really touched on Daniel Rodriguez, which we should, because this I mean, is... I we... did. I said yeah. that man's dope, oh, but he's... I was too busy <laughs> dropping references.
5: You get Commodus and J.R. Smith references from me, that's what I'm bringing to the
4: table, Spencer. He's legit going to go out there and, and just jab Kevin Lee to death, and then Kevin Lee's going to come back on Ariel's show and, and say that he deserves a fight with Kamaru Usman.
3: And might get it in today's oh, UFC. <clears throat> But this is where we are. We will, uh, yes. Daniel Rodriguez is a very interesting individual. Uh, this this will be a big win for him, and hopefully, Daniel Rodriguez will have the opportunity to be on an aerial show if he does get the victory. So, uh, we will move ahead in the interest of time. But the point for round four, surprisingly, you know where it's going. We're going to the knockout round, ladies and gentlemen. It is time. One question will decide it all. Each of these gentlemen will have one minute to answer said question. I think it's pretty obvious where we're going, since I didn't ask what I would normally ask during regulation, but we're going to ask it here. So get excited, gentlemen! Uh, And then at the end, I'm going to just pick the winner. All right? It's going to be based on here. Don't be mad at me. Don't be mad. Nobody get mad. All right? I'm going to hear your answers. I'm just going to go with what comes to my head. Maybe it's a double knockup. Maybe I win.
4: Maybe (laughs) I beat both. Title next week.
3: (laughs) Maybe I beat both of them and I become the champion and I defend against these guys. So Jed. What do we think, man? Are we doing the, the normal champion's prerogative move and passing it on over to Spencer?
5: I'm going to pass because I, I know what the question is going to be. I felt like I was going to be, and I have like 10 answers. And so I can pass and just let him run with whatever he wants to go with. And then I'll just come over the top because I got, I got backups on backups this week, baby.
3: All right. Well, I'll have you know, Spencer, that last week Jed was asked this very question. And if I didn't tell him that J.J. Uh, Wilson didn't miss weight by four and a half pounds, he would have waxed poetically about that fight and would have lost the game before the knockout round.
5: To be fair, that happened like while we were recording. That is
3: not true. It was like two hours before.
5: I have a job, so. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> My bad.
3: Oh, it's all good. All right. Spencer, I think you've been on the show long enough to know where I'm going with this. There's three words we like to use pretty much weekly on this program. because we want to try to make these UFC cards as interesting as possible. This one doesn't really need it because it's really good. Last week needed it desperately. So my question is for you. What is the low-key banger of UFC Vegas 35? And if you want to go a little deeper, you can. What's the low-key banger the weekend? All right. There's a lot of different events. One minute on the clock. Low-key banger. Your time starts right now.
4: The low key banger is the bantamweight finale from Tough 29 with Ricky Tercios and Brady Heestad. Ricky Tercios is one of these like mercurial, kind of got a little bit of Diego Sanchez to him. He's fought some tough guys. His two losses are Boston Salmon and Mana Martinez who also makes his UFC debut this weekend is a interesting prospect coming up but he kind of feels like he's figured it out. He had a couple fights with Adrian Yanez, canceled. He looked good in the house. He looked good throughout the show. Really interesting dude. And Brady Heastead is trying to become the third fighter from SIKJITSU jitsu to win the ultimate fighter, joining Michael Chiesa and, and Juliana Pena. He's 22 years old. He's a firefighter as well. He's a grinder. He's one of those guys that for the first time in a lot of seasons could be a really young cat that Ten comes seconds. out there, wins this thing and sticks around. I think it's going to be a really interesting clash of styles. They were teammates. They're both fun to watch. Should be a gem.
3: Yeah, it's a really good fight. I like that one. There's a lot of good fights on this card. As we turn it on over to Jed Mishu. Jed, you said you have 10 of these, and let me just look real (laughs) quick. There's 12 fights on the card, and we talked about two of them already, and Spencer just got rid of one. So you have, I guess, nine fights to choose from, or you can go as deep as you want. So we're going to put one minute on the clock, low-key banger of ufc vegas 35 or low-key banger of the weekend your time starts right now
5: well that's the thing mike i'm not trying to go just the ufc car but first let me say totally on board with the tercios high stock fight except for the fact that sig doesn't believe in leg kicks so <laughs> block on that fight i don't want anybody who doesn't believe in leg kicks to win shit uh, as far as the UFC goes, low-key banger for me, super obvious, Gerald Mirshar <laughs> versus Mahmoud Muradov. Mahmoud Muradov is actually good at fighting in his last fight out. He got a slow start, but then he turned it up, flying me. And Gerald Mirsharp's just hilarious because that man knows how to win or lose in violent fashion. Like, he talked a whole mess of crap to Hamza Chamayev and got blown up in one of the funniest outcomes I've ever seen in the fight. Uh, that fight's going to be awesome. But frankly, I can't believe I'm saying this because you know my stance on them. The PFL this week is really good. Like the Featherweight tournament's come to a head. And the Brendan Lonane, uh, Mavli, Kabalov fight, I butchered both of those, I'm sure. That's a really good Featherweight fight. We talked earlier about Featherweight being, you know, one of the best divisions in the sport. and seconds. Those guys are right there, man. They're right there. So I am surprisingly really interested in watching the main event. And nobody's talking about
4: PFL this week because it's PFL.
3: Spencer, you have anything to add? I owe you like 15 seconds.
4: <laughs> I mean, Jed's not mistaken that that the PFL fight is a good fight. But I mean, as he said, nobody's talking about it. Yes, that means it is low key. But it's so low key that nobody's paying the damn attention. So, can you really award a win to a guy that's talking about something no one cares about?
3: <laughs> that's that's a pondering thought right there. All right, <laughs> time is up. I got to make a decision here. Uh, I'm trying to think of if anything else is coming up this week. Okay, so we'll obviously have a preview show for UFC Vegas 35 coming up on Friday. Get ready for that. There'll be a pre-fight show on Saturday right before the event. Sunday. Paul versus Woodley. I should be on. I'm, I'm down. I might actually be be around for that one. I'm definitely going to okay. be around for the coverage on Sunday. That's for darn you sure.
5: You know I'm down. You know I'm down.
3: It's a school night. Can you do post-fight show too?
6: We can maybe make it work.
3: All right. Holding you to that. That might actually sway my decision one way or the other. Damn. <laughs> All right, but all great stuff. And of course, the return of the MMA Hour, (laughs) Mondays and Wednesdays. I am delirious, I'm tired, and it's time to make a decision. This is a good round. Both excellent choices, but the winner of Between the Links this week is Jed Mishu. That was a great final round. Both excellent answers, but the Mearshav and Muradov
5: answer. Dude, that fight's going to be hilarious. Look, low key bangers are about I, forgot. I totally forgot about, about that fight until you said it. They're just about ridiculousness. <laughs> and Jalen Sharp, that man knows how to get got. That's what he does.
3: Uh both <laughs> Oh man. Alright, Jed, thirty seconds. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna build it up. Thirty seconds. What do you want to talk about?
5: Uh honestly, I, I touched on it earlier, but I just wanna give a shout out to PFL because everybody knows me I'm I'm the the angry loud curmudgeon of this sport and I talk a lot of shit about a lot of fighters who deserve it and organizations who also deserve it and I'm not walking back a damn thing I said because I'm not Jared Cannoneer. but the PFL's offering this week is legitimately good television. Featherweight is a very good division it might be the best division in their organization and you're getting the semifinals for for their tournament. Like I said, low name uh, Kabbalah, like that's a legitimate top 15, you know, featherweight's going at it. Uh, And Chris Wade, Bubba Jenkins is, it is what it is. It's still not a bad fight. Uh, And then the rest of it, like it's it's honestly a pretty good card. And like I gave them a shout out last week, PFL at least puts their programming on a real network. ESPN baby, everybody has it. You don't have to go figure out what Showtime is on your cable box. So way to go PFL. You're doing better than the number two organization in the sport, and you're offering something I will watch on Friday night.
3: There you go. Spencer, your thoughts, and you'll be back. There's no doubt about that, my friend.
4: <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a joy to be on here and, and learn from the champion, Jed Mishu, to see to pick up these things, right, to, to understand the ways that I have to go about this when Casey isn't here to judge and, and when it's just playing off you know team relationships and being <laughs> around on su- being around on sunday night
3: nah i had nothing to do with it
4: <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta leverage the the you got see someone here's a little less serious about some of this and just start coming with some of it and i listen it sways me every time i listen to him it's that it's that low it's that low country drawl that he's got that just it lulls you to sleep, and then he hits you with the haymakers, and it's it's just perfect. So I appreciate being <laughs> yeah. here, being able to learn, being able to educate myself in the ways of BTL. I see why he has the most wins in the show's history.
3: Yeah, that, that reminds me. We, me and AK did an Ask Us Anything for our matchmaking show, and I didn't read this question, but it was so funny, and I thought about it a lot over the last couple of weeks. The question was basically like, "Hey, I love BTL, but my one question is, does anyone actually win?" <laughs> and technically, no. I mean, it's yeah. just like, I mean, kind of like, I guess, yeah. just in word, but like, we all win. We're all word, winners. Word is more than enough for me. It's yeah. basically it's, a debate show with like fake belts.
4: Yeah, this, <laughs> is, well, this is our version of Around the Horn. But I'm the sorry. but, you're Tony
5: reality. Yeah. Well, one, I don't like the disrespect for my title that's going on right now. <laughs> and two, as I don't, I think it was Nick Diaz. No, it was Nate Diaz. Belts are, belts are fairy tales in real sports anyway. So, that's like, right. my belt is just as relevant as Charles Oliveira's <laughs> undisputed lightweight title. Like, come on. <laughs> and on that note, Colby Covington, where are you at? Bring it, son.
3: <laughs> that was a Kevin Lee line right there, Jed. To, to wrap up the show
5: <laughs> look i gotta respect that man because he's he just says stuff
3: <laughs> oh man all right we are done i am tired i and i still got more moving stuff to do so thank you very much gentlemen for doing this a day earlier than anticipated and, and playing with my crazy schedule thank you all for listening to the program once again a lot of exciting stuff going on in the world of combat sports the ufc invicta lfa pfl and then we got paul versus woodley to cap it all off on sunday and you can follow along with all the action with us at mmafighting.com so for spencer for jed i am mike good night everybody we'll see you back here once again between the links next week